Welcome to the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror. My name is Marshall Smith, and I am here to talk horror films because I appreciate their willingness to take on topics that are often verboten from other film genres. My name is Laura Patterson. Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And I like horror because it lets us look at kind of the darker aspects of humanity and the darker human tendencies. The, uh, what's it? Schadenfreude? <laughs> Schadenfreude? 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 Schadenfreude. <laughs> Have you not ever heard? I've totally heard it before. For okay. some reason, I couldn't recall okay. it as a yeah. word I can say. Right? <laughs> and look at the, the things that we struggle with. And really give us a, a venue to play with those things and have conversation around them instead of, say, turning a blind eye and pretending all the bad in society doesn't exist until we're, like, confronted with our own deep, dark desires or other people's and then have to be surprised that nobody ever talked about this. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I think this film actually does a, a really good job of digging into some of those questions. And so the film we watched is the 2019 version of A Rabbit by the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia. A remake of Cronenberg's film by the same name, not rated, which that probably helps explain the super limited release, because I think the major chains still won't carry a film that's not MPAA rated. Anyhow, Rose works in women's fashion, hoping to be a designer. A traffic accident damages her face. She gets experimental stem cell treatment and horror ensues, is the synopsis. We have rabid was directed by the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia of American Mary notoriety, as well as dead hooker in a trunk, both of which are fantastic movies. Go back and check them out and was co-written by the sisters, Soska sisters, as well as John surge spoilers for the trouble with Harry, a Hitchcock film and rope, a Hitchcock film, oddly. (laughs) And, uh, Possible, yeah, spoilers for Black Christmas, the 2019 version, which we both thought was an outstanding film. So that is one you definitely want to skip the spoilers in this episode. It should be our previous episode. Go back, watch the film, listen to that, and uh, and then continue the conversation today with Rabid. I was thinking we could just do like a what happened in the film. Just as a well. Mostly, yeah. It's like reminder. Sure. Order of this events. But not, I wouldn't include that in the you wouldn't? podcast. Because <laughs> it would break tradition? Yeah, because we never do it and because it's only like helpful for us. But yeah, I was thinking about it on the way down, actually, just to get back into it. Okay. And you've seen it more recently. Yeah. By a day, so let's see. We've got Rose and Brad. <laughs> well, first we have Rose and Chelsea, don't we? Oh, right. Chelsea, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got Rose and Chelsea, and Chelsea's a model. Rose is a aspiring designer. 
And what's his name? I keep I want to call him Anton, but it wasn't Anton again, was it? Or was it? Uh, Perfections Anton. Perfections. Perfection was Anton. Was what's his name? Stephen Weber, but the designer uh, guy. Gunther. Gunther. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I didn't know what you were talking about. And we've got Gunther, who's the yeah obnoxious Lee or fashion designer with a house and a label. And uh, whatever reputation, and so Rose is shy, and we're supposed to believe she's not that pretty because she has like freckles or something. <laughs> she has a scar on her face, <laughs> <laughs> or, or like a little bit of like yeah, something <laughs> imperfect, imperfect skin, barely smell, but whatever. Is shy and or is a workaholic and. Chelsea sets her up with Brad and uh, to go to some event and she gets all fancied up, even though that's not her thing. She wears a nice dress and then she finds out that it was like a pity date. Only kind of. Kinda. It sounds like Chelsea like mentioned to Brad that Rose liked him and then Brad invited her out because I think Brad actually liked, I thought he liked her. Kind of liked her. Yeah. I think she interpreted it as a pity thing, but that was supposed to be like reflective of her character more than like what really happened. Okay. Okay. And then, so she's fleeing or she's running away from the embarrassment and gets hit by a truck or a car or something, which disfigures her significantly. Mostly her mouth, her jaws are wild, wired shut. And she's got mouth and lower face scarring and is otherwise, well, I guess she has chest scarring too, but is otherwise like fine, <laughs> but whatever. That's fine. It was, it was not pet cemetery bad. No, I think it was all right. It was she fine. Has, she has less intestine now. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. So there's some internal, yeah. yeah, damage and yeah. And I scarring. On board. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> pet cemetery was hilarious. <laughs> And then she does some experimental procedure, which like totally fixes her completely, except she now has to drink these special proteins that are blood, essentially blood, special shakes, whatever they tell her, it's dietary supplement or something. And she now has... These, like, great designs from the trauma of being made ugly. Kind of. I disagree maybe slightly with that interpretation, but again, I think we should jump into that later. Okay. And then... So she she starts losing touch between reality and not. She doesn't know if she might be killing people, she might not be. And then the people that she bites become infected with some sort of rabies-like thing. And in the meantime, Gunther loves her designs and is going to put her on a... or is going to have her one of her dresses in his collection show, and Chelsea's going to model it. And she realizes she's grown tendrils. She realizes she at least needs to go back to the clinic. That, like, okay. What's going on. Right. Tries to put it off probably as long as she can. And then ends up going back. And at that point, this disease, whatever thing, is starting to spread and take over. And the public is aware there's some sort of, like, 
epidemic, I guess. Right. Okay. And... And I guess I would say the punchline is, like, society squelches the epidemic by killing everybody, apparently, who had the disease. (laughs) Right. And And quarantining or trying to treat those who are early stages or whatever. Yeah. And there was that sort of weird interaction, which I guess we could talk about more too, between with Chelsea and Brad at the clinic, because it was like a little bit unclear whether Brad was somehow in cahoots with the doctor or not really, or I feel like that got sketchy on Brad's part, but we didn't quite flesh it out. Like, I don't know for sure. But, but Dr. Quack Doctor wife is now basically like a living cancer. Yeah. Like and he, wants to, he wants the thing to survive. And that's, like, supposed to be, like, people, like, better than people or something like that. And Chelsea chooses not that, tries to choose not that. So, like, she hurts herself to try to save Brad. And that doesn't work. Then she kills herself. She's just, she's not going to be, she doesn't want immortality in that way. Right. But then, dun, dun, dun. Right. (laughs) Then she comes back. Yeah, she comes back. And that's end of film? I think so. Chelsea dies? Chelsea. No. Oh, Chelsea. Oh. What happens to Chelsea? What does happen to Chelsea? Yeah, she gets... She get attacked. Oh, she attacks other people. Oh, yeah, that's Those right. Just, so she's got it. She's got... Right. Which presumably then means she got killed because right. everybody with it got killed. Right. Okay. I feel like we're missing something. Oh, well, I can get to that. Okay. All right. All right. That's helpful. Um, Do you want to lead? <laughs> uh... I no, because I'm gonna have to like talk through what I think about it. Okay. So if you have fully formed, fully formed, I'm like totally great. Go, go, run with it then. I like it a lot. I I have ideas that I felt like came together really well, and then I would like to talk to you to see if we can get deeper on it. Yeah, I think there's deeper. I just haven't quite figured that out yet. That's that's exactly how I felt. I felt like they were they were trying to do something deeper. And I didn't have it all sorted out, which I, I usually don't until I start talking it out. And then if it's there, but I wasn't, I wasn't sold on it. I wasn't like totally like, it's like, okay, I appreciate that they tried something, but it wasn't, it wasn't black Christmas. <laughs> it wasn't, but I actually, I thought they did a really good job. Honestly, okay. I was, I was super on board with their argument and I think it might be more complicated even than I can like surface give it. But I thought it was great. And and maybe one of the reasons it resonated is because they tapped into a a sort of moral question that I struggle with all the time. And so it felt very, like I I picked up on the signpost right away. I think because to me, it just felt very um, relevant. What were the signposts? Well, so, okay. It starts off with our main character, Rose being very meek. And there's that conversation right at the beginning. Is it with Chelsea? With someone about her being a vegetarian. Yeah. And was it Chelsea that was, she was having that conversation with? Or Somebody in the office. Um, anyway, whoever it was kind of makes the point like, well, I mean, yeah, but like either you're the meat or you're, you know, you're the one eating. So yeah, why would you want to be a vegetarian? And Rose is very much entrenched in this like, no, that's not kind. I don't want to hurt anything. And you can see that that is sort of combined with this overall passivity. Like she's unsure of herself. She doesn't. So it's, it's, it's sort of to me felt like um, the really extreme end of kindness to like a selfless extent to like a losing yourself or not even knowing who you are because kindness can kind of take over kind kindness can kind of morph into this, like letting 
everybody else get their way instead of you kind of thing, which would be like the way too extreme version of that. Um, and they set her up so painfully as that right at the beginning. She was hard to spend time around. I thought I couldn't stand her character right at the beginning. It was just, it was painful, just painful. And then, you know, you say this as someone who like is painfully nice. I know that's but what I mean is like, because that's something that I, I love you. So don't don't get me wrong, but yes, you are. Yeah. It was, it was too much and it was painful to see because, because you saw yourself in her. Yeah, I saw, like like I said, like a, a, a line, I have to figure out how to walk, and I don't think I've totally figured it out. Between, like, having the same instinct of, like, oh, my gosh, I want to be nice to everybody and save everything and never cause any pain ever, and also, like, well, I count, too. And she, like, I feel like was so the extreme end of that that it was, like, it was it was hard to see. It was, like, a, a good critical moment for myself. Like, oh, God, yeah, don't be that. <laughs> like, that's not right now. Um, which, yeah, was difficult. And then, gosh, when she... When she first ends up at Chelsea's house right after her accident, I was so pained to have to be sitting in that apartment with her. Like, Chelsea left, and I was like, oh, God, we're left with Rose? Because just her attitude and her the way that her entire, like, self had been sort of drained out of her, and she was just miserable, I felt like. And it was, oh, it was just, it was awful. So that was, like, that really extreme side of the argument, right? Like, the, like I said, totally letting yourself go and not not existing, I guess, anymore because everyone you're like you're trying to do for everyone else and on the other side of that i feel like that was like the this is like the spectrum that we were faced with in this right i mean they, they lay it right out to us at the beginning like either you're the food or you're the yeah the right. predator right and then rose undergoes this transformation and becomes the predator and i think in that like you know regains some social status there are a lot of like i said signposts along the way for that like even when she's at the party later on and Chelsea, I think it's Chelsea says, oh, well, you're pretty now. You don't have to be nice. Yes. Oh, um, yeah, that's good. So there's, and she was wearing a fur coat after she, after her transformation, right? So this idea that like now maybe she's finding herself, but kind of, again, it's, it's sort of the problematic side of the spectrum. Like they take it all the way. We're like, okay, good for you for having some awareness of yourself. She's able to, to engage in her fashion and come up with these designs. And I didn't take it so much as it was the trauma of the accident that did. I think it was the shift from like, like suddenly finding herself. Oh, oh, oh. And somebody even says at the beginning, maybe it's Gunter. Somebody says to her, do you even know who you are when talking about her designs in the past? Right. And now she like, she does know who she is. She has this confidence. And in order to gain that, she, what she's really done is she's, she has very much traded She's on the predator side, very like literally in the sense of this film. Like yes. now she's a predator and now she's getting what she wants and she's beautiful and people are paying her attention and her designs are lovely. And she's like, it's worked for her in a way because she's kind of found herself. But at the same time, she's also needs to kill people. Right. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's again too far on that side of the spectrum. And so that felt to me like the, the moral question that they were posing to us. And it gets really interesting then because we're her. I think in the film. Totally. And so at first it was like totally on board with her shift a little bit away from like the scary bad side of the spectrum where she started. But then she has scary bad being meek too much. Yeah. Too too meek too too meek. And too, I guess there's, there's a difference between caring about other people's feelings and wanting to be kind and letting yourself go. Right. And so she went into the like, she didn't count anymore side of the spectrum. And that's painful to watch. Okay. And so like shifting then to like, no, she matters and she's allowed to like assert her needs over other people or something is good, but she keeps going because she has to, because that's how the movie works. Cause now she's a monster, right? To the side of having to eat people. And she struggles with that because it's like, she doesn't want to be that. She doesn't want to be 
she doesn't want to live at someone else's expense, I guess. And they say that explicitly, don't they, in the film somewhere? Something about, like, oh, I swear they say something about, like, everything is something else's food. Yeah. There's something along those lines. Yeah. Like, or, like, life only comes from, did the doctor say it? Maybe, like, life only comes from death or something. Yeah. Um, Gunter's talking all along about this dark passenger, right? And this idea, that, and he said it's, like, the self that wants to persevere at all costs. So it's, like, selfishness. And, and there's, I think, a, a, a thread floating around in the background there of the only way to take care of yourself is to hurt other people. Like, it's a zero-sum game, and so you better take their happiness or take their good or take whatever for, your, for yourself. And that, to me, at least, like I said, as someone sitting in this place of, like, wanting to be kind to other people and wanting to sort of feel like we should all just be socialists and take care of everyone and hierarchy can be really problematic and yada, 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 that, to me, feels bad. I don't want to believe that the way that you get ahead in life is just by stomping on other people and you don't feel guilty about it. You shouldn't feel guilty about it because that's just what we're all trying to do. Like, I don't like that either. And, but it was, it's like Rose got pulled in a good direction and then she just ended up too far over there. And so by the end, I think the end of the film is her making the decision. You know, she's, she essentially, the doctor, I think is arguing for the, the far end of the spectrum on the side of, yep, yeah, kill or be killed. Right. Like, humans need to we need to get over this idea of morality or whatever because why do we want to take care of anybody we shouldn't it's all about selfishness it's all about being you it's all about persevering and he's trying to make that case to her and like she can do it she can survive she can be you know the winner whatever that means and she instead decides no she's like gonna she's willing to you know harm herself to save brad and then when that doesn't work she kills herself because it's like no i don't want to be i'm not gonna i'm not gonna live as that either which I kind of liked because I was like, oh, good. See, right. So, like, the answer is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle. And it's like, you can still be nice. It's, you don't have to be like she was at the beginning. But you don't have to be a monster either. Like, and that's not okay. And, like, you shouldn't listen to those arguments. Because, again, I feel like as someone who sits in society hearing these types of things all the time and, and sometimes wondering, like, oh, should I just be selfish? And should I just, like, say, oh, like, hey, like, it's not right to care about other people. And it's not right to, like... You know, like it's, uh, it, it should just be all about me and not wanting it to be and whatever. She like I liked. starts Japanese, goes to America, and ends up Scandinavian. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Maybe if you want to stereotype drastically. She yeah. So she like when she if you want to be right, thank you. <laughs> Culturally speaking, first of all, for those please don't. Well, whatever. Yeah. I think we were Rose, and I think when Rose decides yeah. to kill herself, I felt some redemption in terms of like the moral sense of the film, because I was like, yes, I agree with you. I think that's too far, too. But it gets more interesting when then Rose... Well, okay, two things. Oh, I'll stop talking in a second here. That's fair. But one, I think it's an important point that everybody who had the disease got killed, and that's how humanity got saved. And I think if you juxtapose that with... Remember when Santa got shot in the, in the hospital... Right, somebody walks in and shoots Santa because he clearly looks like he's Cops doing something crazy. Santa. Yeah, and the doctor says, "What are you? That man was here trying to get help. What were you doing? You can't do that." And I feel like again that that poses the same kind of question of like, "Fuck it, he's clearly a danger to us. Let's just get rid of him." Versus like, "No, we need to try to take care of him, even if that possibly means endangering ourselves." Like we're right back there. And Santa is supposedly like the most selfless icon of US culture, right? Like, all he does is gives gifts. He works all year long. Well, he puts elves to work all year long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) 
And then he takes all the credit. But whatever. I yeah. like that. I like that. I didn't think about that. Okay. So I, I felt like that was an important juxtaposition to that little news report at the end that's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. The epidemic's over. We just killed everybody who had it. And now we're good. Which was very much the shoot Santa version, right? So the way that humanity gets saved is to just be ruthless. And on top of that, when Rose comes back at the end, it no longer, like, the, so I, it, it, if she's us, which I kind of think she was, when she chooses to kill herself, it's like, oh, we're, we've decided this is too much. But when she comes back and then gets punished, essentially, forever for it, first of all, and secondly, she doesn't really solve the problem. I mean, it looks like the doctor who, like, the, sort of the influence, because he's like the extreme side of the killer be killed argument, right? his influence is like still there and like that mentality is still going to perpetuate itself and the problems it causes is still going to be there. He didn't go away. And now she just has to suffer forever. It questions it more. Like now I don't know what the moral was or was, you know, was it that she is right and she should have killed herself and you shouldn't be that ruthless or was it that ruthless, ruthlessness a is effective and that's how we saved humanity and B always wins. So don't try to, don't try to go the other way because you're just going to torture yourself. I don't know. And I liked that. And I like the question. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I was going to say it is pretty nihilist that once she decides that she's going to sacrifice herself, she can't. And she ends up imprisoned, like you said, presumably forever or yeah. That's a dark, which I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a dark ending. A couple things. One, what if we, does it work to map Freud onto her evolution? Like she starts all super ego, then she goes all id and then ends up balanced at ego. Maybe. Like she starts overly controlled and and repressed by society and then becomes all desire and and uh, selfishness and then arrives at like a, a balance. Yeah, maybe. And I don't know where we work in the completely penis shaped. It wasn't a phallic symbol. It was just a phallus protrusion oh yeah yeah it clearly re-emerged itself back into a vagina on her absolutely that's exactly what it did i don't know why i have no idea yeah and then and it's all men who she kills right yes it's all men and all lovers or potential lovers i felt like she was kind of preying on i felt like she made them think she would like a vampire kind of thing yeah but it was a sexuality driven it wasn't just like, oh, here's a random... First guy was a guy she was having fun with, presumably, when they were out dancing and celebrating. And then second guy was like, toxic, bro. So it was nice... I don't want to say nice guy. It was like, consensual person, and then it was decent person, and then decent man, and then it was toxic man, and then it was... was wait, was the um, soap opera star, or whatever he was, was he between the two? Maybe. Although she bit him but, and then she changed her mind. Oh yeah, that no, that was that was first. That was her first. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because she get, wakes up in the hospital still and goes down to the pool, and yeah, bites him and then right and then pulls back and leaves. And what do they say that liquid is the water is emotions? She's she's getting in touch with her emotions. 
Isn't that what he, he is explained to her by doctor about dreams? Oh, I forgot. I don't know. I so she's that. like literally and figuratively wading into the into her uh, id, in her emotions. Oh, interesting. Maybe. And and yeah, and there's this whole like little taste of blood, which is. Which is, yeah, like you said, vam- vampiric and also super um, virginity loss. She bites him and there's blood dripping the water, which is this uh, historical, archaic, myth, mythic loss of virginity of their tearing of the hymen and there's blood. It's like you lose your virginity. Okay, so wait, is it is it him and then is it... And then the it's bro. no, and, and then, then it's nice. Oh, no, the then it's around. nice person because they go celebrate. Oh, if it were the yeah. other way around, it would be better. What it isn't it? Which way is it? Which well, one I, is it? I'm Which order sure. is it? If it was the other way around, it would be like first she tried to do it and basically stopped herself and couldn't. Then it would be she said okay, but only if the guy is a monster and clearly deserves it. And then it would be like yeah, whatever. This guy seems to <laughs> I'm gonna do it anyway. So she comes back and they're like, and Chelsea's like, oh, you look amazing. You're healed. And she has her epiphany with her designs and they go to the club to celebrate and they see Gunther and Gunther is like, oh, you know, I see you now and you're you're like a person now. And then she, she they dance with these guys and do all these have all these drinks. But it's we don't know for sure that she kills the guy. Mm. That's the thing. So it's it's still a progression. She likes claws him or or oh, right. yeah, carves yeah. him open, and she then she wakes up, and we don't know that she killed him. Oh, and did then she the, do it? I think I didn't know if I even took that as a dream because then yeah, she woke up in bed. Well, we don't know if it's a oh, dream or not. Okay. <clears throat> and she supposedly doesn't either. Like you said, we're on her. We're empathizing with her. Yeah. She's our protagonist. And then that third, the toxic bro, she wakes up with blood on her fingers. So we like know that she killed him. Okay. So she, like, discovers the desire. She at least dreams about it. Maybe and, just dreams and, about it or tries to implement it a little or, more. Or, or progresses, yeah. And then she actually does it. Yeah. But then I like that even when she does it, she does it with someone who clearly deserved it. Yeah. Because I think she's struggling with this whole moral thing. Maybe immediately after, she's a little bit just taken over by, like, the power and the excitement of having what she wants. But she pretty soon, it seems like, starts to struggle with this question of... Okay, oh, yeah. maybe I can get what I want for me, but is that really fair and is that really right? And is that the kind of person I want to be? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, and he is very clearly meant to be toxic. Yeah, yeah. Masculinity, hegemonic masculinity. Yeah. You des- he deserves, yeah. As much as yeah. And then what? And then she just struggles to contain. Right. And we move on to other things. So those are her yeah. kills. And she's right, she's interested in like her dress finally making it into the show. Like she's she she wants to be herself. She wants to accomplish what she's been trying to accomplish all these years. And so she's happy that she can, maybe, and she doesn't want to have to deal with going back to the clinic, which makes sense, but does seem like a desperate attempt to hang on to her happiness in the face of blaring evidence that <laughs> this isn't working out. Right. The other thing I would say is, so she was a foster kid, uh, for Chelsea, so they're like they're non-biological sisters, and they are model and designer, aspiring designer, designer, whatever. And so they are really encouraging and, tr- and supporting each other. Gunter is ma- a man and is really tearing her down, tearing them down. Doctor is a man, but I guess enables her with by by the experimental technique, but also 
contaminates her and infects her. And is is deceptive throughout. So it's like, that actually kind of fits with that scene at the beginning where she's making the decision about what to do and the doctor's standing there creepily looking through the window. Totally. I know something you don't know. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's... And then there's Brad, who's sort of nice guy, but I think is a creep through the whole thing. I, I'd never felt, I felt, I'll say this, I felt zero chemistry. It was confusing at the beginning because it just didn't make se- sense why Brad wanted to pursue her because I felt like she was giving off such bad energy. And I, I honestly, I did, I judged him just for like, why would you want to pull this person out and just get wrapped into their psychological problems too? Because that's all it felt like. And then when he kissed her and like, it just, it just, it felt. Yeah, creepy. totally. Surprise kiss, unwanted. She is not, clearly not into it. And he, I felt like he was a creep because he was pursuing her and it just seemed like he thought she was an easy mark. She would, she was quote unquote desperate, sort of desperate, desperate enough to be willing to just like sleep with him, even if she wasn't totally into it. And that was why he, not all, didn't even like pursue her, but it was like once Chelsea was like, oh yeah, she might be interested in you. He was like, oh, I'm going to just come in hot, kiss you and like, let's, you know, end up. I don't know exactly what his story was. Yeah. I don't know if that was acting or that was, he was supposed to be that way, but then never felt, yeah, any, and then he was like sort of a nice guy. Like he said, he shows up at the clinic, but then he, but she calls him out. She's like, you just feel bad. Doesn't she? Yeah, and that again, I felt like was sort of her personality, maybe misinterpreting things, but but I think you're right. I think Easy Mark is like the hits the point of what my criticism of him was too. That like, why are you pursuing this so much? This doesn't seem balanced. I don't know. It just didn't feel. It didn't feel right. But it's, so it's the, it's the, these two women, these two sisters, who are non biological. So it's it's who are navigating this world of men that is predicated on beauty and it's what it's uh and then the thing that for me that was additionally fascinating was her injury in all of this was was disfiguring her face which is the so key and was made so key to like her her success or her failing or her confidence it was all are you not just pretty, but are you pretty and your skin is now better and whatever else they did with makeup to make her even despite her mouth disfigurement. But the mouth disfigurement also literally silences her. And so then she can express herself not through words, but through her design and her style. And then her style are all these like caged mouth. And so it's like you can speak, just not with your actual words. And they don't really listen to her actual words, right? The doctor doesn't believe her. He's like, oh, whatever. You're dreaming. It's side effects. Just shut up and take a pill. And Gunter, like, again, when she communicates with Gunter, it's not like, here, let me discuss the idea. It's just do it. Just do your action. Revise your dress on the fly. Show me your design, your picture. There's no communication she only really communicates with chelsea with the other woman and by i mean really communicate that's maybe not exactly the right phrase but verbally communicates and then there's all these other instances where she verbally communicates with women and is just ignored or just put off 
she asked the model, like, have you seen whatever? And I mean, these other women are just totally dismissive of her. I don't even, I don't know if she talks to anybody else who actually hears her in the film. Brad doesn't really listen to her. She's like, I'm dying over here. He's like, oh, let's go to lunch. <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and, you know, she's like, oh, my stomach's really upset. He's like, oh, whatever. Just do you have an appetite? And I, I think of fashion designers as super egotistical, just super egotistical. It's like, from what little I know about fashion, it's like you are supposed to have a perspective and a defining your your personality or your whatever is is your style and that has to be unique and you have to we have the this mythology of kind of like an auteur with cinema you are this uh dominant domineering controlling absolutely every detail has to be perfect but in the and then and, and i was going to be sort of dismissive of of the of the power of fashion like okay you know what settle down like you're still just putting clothes on people like you're not solving world hunger um but at the same time she talks about rose talks about i want to clothe people because it can be this really empowering and socially uh important uh venture I put clothes on people, they feel better, they feel good, they feel confident, it can build them up, they can go out into the world. So I don't know where all this is going, but that's where I started feeling like, okay, something here is supposed to be happening, and I don't know exactly what all the pieces mean. So that feels to me like it fits with this idea of have the external presentation of you versus the internal, like, who you actually are kind of difference, right? And Rose is dismissed... Throughout the film, at the beginning at least, I guess, well, I wouldn't say entirely. I, I was going to say because her external presentation isn't quite what people want it to be. And then once it is, later on, like when she's prettier, all of a sudden, now people care what, do they even care what she has to say? Or maybe they don't. Maybe like that's what's important is kind of what's on the outside. So this idea of fashion fitting that, or you can make yourself anyone you want to be through what you look like, is kind of the same shallow, I guess, impression of what it means to be someone and what we care about in other people. And the scene where, where Rose shows up at the bar and Gunter is first of all, really excited to see her. You know, she had apparently lost her job, right? When right. she was disfigured. Right. And Chelsea tells her like, yeah, sorry, you're not coming back. Right. Which is strange because if she's a designer, she's not going to be out in the front anyway. So like you would think she could just do her, do what she does without, it doesn't matter what she looks like. Right. But right. apparently it does matter what she looks like and she loses her job. And when she's suddenly beautiful and Gunter sees her, Gunter says to the people that he's with, like, Oh, that's my assistant. And someone there says, Oh, she's stunning. All of a sudden, now that the external package is so great, he values her, but that's a really superficial way to value someone. So, so is it critique of fashion, of the fashion industry? Is it saying like, look, this whole, all, all this fashion is superficial and, and just society, I guess, even more so or wonder, in general? I wonder too. I kind of want to put it on the same scale that I sort of threw out at the beginning and say that it's it's a spectrum from like all the way on one end saying that stuff doesn't matter at all and you know it's all about who you are and like looks and presentation and whatever are like meaningless to saying that that's everything and then it's probably somewhere in between like it's wrong when she when she gets all of her worth or whatever you want to call it from her external presentation 
there's something unsatisfying in that, I think. I mean, ultimately, things don't go super well for her. I think I think I judge, like, Gunter when he says that. And, like, you know, I, I don't feel like, she, like you said, she's not really listened to. She's not really connecting with people. And so, like, in some ways, she kind of gets what she wants from being beautiful. And in other ways, she doesn't really get what she wants. She just gets, like, a shallow interpretation of it. But it's also probably true that when she says, like, fashion can do all these things for you. And, again, when you look at her at the beginning, she's able to present herself better. And that does actually help or maybe you even look at it literally from the horribly disfigured position she was in so when she pulls her bandages off and looks in the mirror and sees herself it's like oh okay i can work i can do this i can go out in the world now i almost want to say you know like i said it's a spectrum that it's not that that kind of stuff doesn't matter at all and it's not that her argument about fashion being able to like help you have confidence or be a better person is like totally meaningless but it's also that that's not everything and if that was it would be shallow i was thinking about the scene where she first tries to eat. Oh gosh, yeah. And it's it's really literally her being this lab rat, right? Like hooked up to the what what do you call it feeder, and where it's shot like that iconic like you would a rat up on its hind paws, front paws on the feeder tube. I still think it's interesting that the that a that a man. The doctor is a man who turns her into this very superficial or unsatisfying success where, like you say, they achieve. They talk about, like, we used to dream about this. Me walking, closing a show with your design, like, this is our climax, but it all is horribly wrong and twisted, and there is no real satisfaction from it. it. It is at the expense of both of their... Well, she doesn't die, but really their lives. And it is within the confines of, or maybe not within the confines, but it, it's within the, it's in two masculine realms because the, well, medicine is historically, both are historically male dominated fields of, that are, so, so she is really this kind of experiment. There's one place where Brad says to her something about what do you want to do later? Did he mean when she gets too old to be in fashion? Is that I, I didn't know how to take it because she wasn't a model. And so I thought, would, would a designer get kicked out? But if that's what he meant, that kind of fits with what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that was. I think it was... Um, yeah, and then we've got him who's like supposedly this neutral. Or isn't he like presented as this supposed neutral? Don't they indict him for... You just want to document something. You just want to have something to photograph to, to be your journalist without a without a real perspective. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's how journalism actually works or photography at all. But I think that was how he was presented. And so I thought I took it as he was like, "Yeah, but this isn't really what you want to do," because for him it was a side hustle. It was a temporary. Oh, oh. So who knows if he meant? So it was just like, no. But what do you actually want to do? Okay. That's how I took that. I don't know exactly. If it was like, oh, once your external shell is no longer young and beautiful, you're going to have to leave. Like, that's what this is about. That would be relevant. But I didn't know when I heard that line. I was like, what's he talking about? What right. you're saying here makes sense, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. I just thought okay. there would be a point on, on the topic you were bringing up. Yeah. So what do we have? We have two women within the realms of medicine and fashion that are, are men-dominated and... As they participate in those fields, they get a real false satisfaction out of it. And 
it is at the expense of other men. Hmm. And they are sacrificed in the process as well because this whole... What makes this all possible is her becoming something that is not really human, but that is toxic, that is a disease. I mean, it is ultimately rabid. And so, we I mean, we haven't addressed that at all. So why does this all spread? Why isn't this... Whatever has... Whatever she has bought into, which is that superficial is more important than ability, internal. And also, I think it's the, like I said, eater being. Right. Like, uh, so when she becomes the eater, that is then a disease that spreads. Okay. Right? And it has to be gotten rid of. By, you're right. That's, yeah, right. We, humanity survives by wiping that out. But it maybe that maybe then it's not pessimistic. Maybe, you're right, by... by calling it a disease, which it is. Maybe that answer is kind of the moral question I was throwing out at the beginning of like, where are you supposed to land on that spectrum? Maybe she's right in trying to kill herself. And yes, it's a disease. Maybe the pessimistic part is like, there are always going to be people who are over on this end. Like you can't wipe it out. You can do what you can, I guess. Right. You can contain it. Yeah. Fight the good fight, but you're not going to, you're never going to be done. And, and, okay, wait, does that fit them with, like, the fashion show not stopping? Like, Gunter won't stop the fashion show even in the midst of this public health crisis because he says fashion oh, must yeah. go on. And doesn't he say something? I mean, he also downplays the disease. Right. Oh, it's just a cold. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so how does that fit? Because that might fit. Yeah, that should fit. Because, yeah, that was such a pointed scene. Like, the superficiality or this external whatever. So, yeah, I mean, he's really dismissive of an actual concern which is public health and he's like that's all trivial what i what is important here is my show still needs to happen and then he's like go get a real job <laughs> or whatever he says to this to the newscaster does he does he say something dismissive to her like you know yeah. oh yes yes, yes go yes. find some real news or something yes. okay i have a, I have a yeah. sociology concept i can throw in but it's Great. not going to be well formed because i meant to look it up before coming here and i didn't So these concepts of egalitarian versus hierarchical with regard to environmental risks are from an essay by Mary Douglas and Aaron Wodolowski in a 1982 book, Risk and Culture. This is uh, from Laura. Um, Mary Douglas wrote Purity and Danger also, which is a, a book that I've long wanted to use in developing like some theorization of horror so I was really curious to uh, to see that that's who you were referencing is there more you want to say about that if you looked that up do you remember just to introduce it to folks or no that's fine yeah that's fine there's a point that we talked about in my environment society class about a sociologist. It was a woman. That's all I remember. And she had this dimension, like scale of, so, so two different scales, like two different extreme ends of a scale. Right. And people on one end were called hierarchical individualists. And, and then there were egalitarian was one of the other ones. And I don't remember the one that went with it. Okay. But basically the idea was that hierarchical individualists are people who are, you know, believe that, they're focused on themselves. The other one was like communal, communalists or something like that. Right. I mean, in terms of 
I don't remember the actual word, but the concept. And so it was like people who are focused on themselves and believe that hierarchy is okay and normal and just how society is supposed to be. And so they'll look at the world and look at power differentials and look at people who are worse off than other people and think, well, yeah, it's my job to like do the best I can for me and look out for me. And there's nothing wrong with there being a hierarchy. There's always going to be a hierarchy. I have to figure out how to climb it. Right. And then on the other hand, you have people who look at the world and look at society and say, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> but uh, the point I'll come across here. On the other side of the spectrum, you have people who are whatever it was, egalitarian communalists or something. They're people who look at society and see power differentials and see differences in access to resources. And basically just like some people are fine and some people are suffering on a variety of dimensions. And that bothers them. And they think, hey, we all should be equal. We all have kind of equal worth and an equal right, if you want to call it that, to lead a happy life. And that people who kind of fall into that realm are more interested in like collective good rather than what they can get just for themselves. And I think the argument was that this was like sort of a fundamental ways on which you can characterize people and their outlooks on the world. And so that ties into what Gunter was saying there potentially, because if it's like fashion is, is so important and that stops for no one and oh, that's just a cold, who cares? Like it's a sort of blindness to the ills of society. Well, it's not me. It didn't affect me. Right. And I don't really care. It doesn't bother me that other people are suffering because people are going to be suffering. I'm just glad I'm not, which fits with his like dark passenger thing. Right. And this, like that, I guess that is in a sense, a hierarchical individualist that he, when he gave his speech at the beginning, like that's what he was talking about. Someone in you who cares just about your success. And if that means somebody else suffers, like, you're a little bit happy about that because you didn't and they did. And that means you're winning the game. And you know, like it's all about looking out for yourself. And so maybe he represents that argument that's good yes that which is another thing we need we should talk about which is more than i don't know how you just said it but was sort of minimized but his whole collection is schadenfreude which is (laughs) which is pleasure in another person's pain or in another person's suffering i think is specifically what he says and it's so odd that she is able to design the foremost look in the fashion, in the runway show, built on Schadenfreude after she has this. And so then the question is, for me, if she were to see other people enjoy her suffering from being disfigured and translate that, that might make sense. But are we, but we don't ever see that. We don't ever see her to start to take joy in other people's suffering. So I, I don't I don't know that I understand why like it makes sense for him because he like you said he he really does seem to represent this I am the best thing ever and if you can't deal with that it's your fault and you don't get it and I'm I'm still gonna go about my happy life but why why she is able to tap into the this crux of Schadenfreude based on this accident. I want to say it's kind of like the migraines in Black Christmas that she starts going that way. As soon as she has her accident, she's wearing a fur coat. That's, I mean, that is right. Very directly contrasting her opinions oh. at the beginning. She starts to succeed. She feels good about herself. She goes out to the club. But is it at the expense of others? I think the argument might be that it always is. Oh, that's interesting. Like right. Eat or be eaten. And as well, okay. So, and, and, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. She, so she buys into the zero sum game. Yeah. Of- 
society. And so she like she starts to, but then by the end she kind of comes back and says, at least I mean, again, I would argue it's a spectrum, and that she maybe at the end. I mean, who knows? We don't really find out. May have landed somewhere a bit healthier than where she was at the beginning, because that really wasn't okay either. But that she went too far, and she kind of pulls it back in by trying to kill herself. I mean, she definitely says like, "No, I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna succeed if I have to." When Brad's like dying right next to her, like if I have to actually, well, literally in that sense, right? If 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 in order to survive, he has to die. And I have to see his suffering. I'm not going to take joy in that. I'm not going to like, yay, go me, you know, and who cares about that? I'm going to actually hurt myself so that he can be okay, which is back to this egalitarian kind of. Uh, yeah. And so she is surviving on the blood of others, literally and figuratively, and is succeeding and is only able to be out in the world by consuming and and spreading this disease to others. But it is also interesting that she undergoes the procedure. It's it's framed as this benevolence. It's like, look, these are experimental procedures. We need human subjects, but this is all for the good of moving the medical technology for, forward. It's not, look, you're a... I mean, it's even specifically contrasted. Because, like, when they show up at the clinic, there's these women who's like, oh, look, they're so... I love her nose. And it, it's this totally cosmetic thing. But when he talks to her, or their promo video, or whatever it is, it's like, the, the regulations are excessive. This is going to help us to move medical technology forward. Um, you will benefit, too. But ultimately, you're giving yourself up to be a, a lab rat. Again... And she's watching that video at the beginning on the, what was it, like, transhuman? That's not Yeah, whatever. transhumanism, yeah. Was the idea that, I feel like there was something in there about, like, all of humanity getting better? Yeah. Or, or, he, or was it that, like, some of us will make it, was there a, there may have been, like, an explicit an point elitist? about, like, we have to sacrifice a bunch for some of us to make it. Because I feel like by the end, that was certainly the doctor's argument. Like, humanity surviving yeah. doesn't mean all of us coming along. It means, like, some of us get to make it, and we step on others, but so what? Humanity made it. But what was in that video? Was that... Did that get at that, too? I I don't remember. It may have, but I I don't remember it. I remember it being, this is going to be beneficial for everything, or for everyone. And I I think that would make sense. Like, that's the spin of, like, look, this is going to benefit everyone. And then when you ask him, what does that mean? He means, well... It's going to benefit everyone who survives. Right. And, I, cause I feel and like the people who end up dead, well, it's better for them, too, because they needed to die or whatever. Right, right, right. Which is like a really core, I feel like, social outlook that people have. Like, that's a really prominent sure. dimension of how people look at the world. I and mean, you've seen a lot. Social Darwinism. Absolutely. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, even like the Holocaust, like things where right. people have decided, hey, Oh well, yeah, that's that's too bad for you, but it's better for humanity as a whole if we sure. just right. get rid of whatever this is. Versus other people saying, "Hey, we all need to come along. We need to make sure that we take care of everyone, even the people who are suffering." Like we shouldn't shoot Santa, right? <laughs> we need to we need to take care of everybody. Yeah, I, I do. Just having listened to a podcast about Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan, that was the argument about that was their argument, and which was a successful narrative throughout the eighties of we aren't going to address AIDS because these are folks who have sinned and are being punished and they need to die. That's God's will. Tough shit. And, and they're in action, government in action fed by Reagan, but driven politically 
to a great extent by Falwell was, um, was we are not going to act because they deserve it. So yeah, that's very much a a prominent narrative. I'm tempted to say that this film doesn't, I don't know if they give a referendum on the answer to that question, or if that's just the question they're posing, because on the one hand, I would say, well, they do like you, like you said, by characterizing it as a disease, then I, I think they're put, and by having Rose try to kill herself, they're putting us on sort of the egalitarian side of like, no, we all need to be okay. And we need to look out for people who are suffering. We need to not just shoot Santa for lack of a better way to say it. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, I think it's really important that they said the way they got rid of the disease was by killing everybody who had it. They shot Santa. Right. 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 And, and they do at least make the point of saying, even if we are on Rose's side, even if it is a disease, even if we should fight against this, they make a point of indicating at the end that it's not going to be gone. And, and maybe they're just laying it out as a sort of fundamental tension in society that you're going to have these kind of two sides of this argument. I don't know. Which would also explain why you really liked the film and why I was like, eh. <laughs> I want to take a fucking position. <laughs> They're giving you equivalent, equivocating bullshit. To, like, choose a side and stick to it. Yeah, that would totally right. That would absolutely explain our reactions. <laughs> uh, and then I can't help but think, is it Sartre, Sartre or Nietzsche who make the argument that if you really look at the, the ethical conundrum of living in a modern society the only truly ethical choice is to commit suicide is to take your own life. Ethical. I thought that was like the existential crisis kind of thing. You decide if you're going to kill yourself or not, like nothing matters. And so the only important decision you ever make is whether you kill yourself or you don't. Okay. I feel like that's Sartre. I thought there was a, I I think that is the existential crisis, but I think maybe it's Nietzsche made it somebody else who the argument was, but the only ethical thing to do is, is to, remove yourself because we are all living on the blood of others. Mm. I mean, de, Vo- de, Bo- de, Bo- de Beauvoir, who is Sartre's fuck buddy, weren't they married? No. Wrote a book called The Blood of Others. Mm. So it is interesting that she arrives at that conclusion after struggling with all this. Yeah, that is. I, I, I will say that I think it is also important that we address this notion that she is now I want to overuse the word existential. She is uh she is profoundly gaslit through the film. I mean, she is explicitly told you're gonna to have hallucinations, you're gonna have dreams that feel very real. Uh, we're you, you, so she doesn't know what reality she's living in right. and is expected to navigate all this and she is put in that position still again by men and so I, I and maybe this is me reaching but I think given that there's maybe an argument that like men are creating this system where women are being pushed into this position of you have to play on these terms and you have to play this game and that game is eat or be eaten and if you aren't willing to play that game, you're going to sit on the outside and you're going to have your vegetarian or your vegan lunch. And you might get it. You might be get somewhere in the middle, but you're never going to get into the inner circle on any level. And 
And that would also help explain the like. That might also... So with her not being able to communicate verbally, it's it's like you can be in the game, but you still can't truly participate. She's still playing his game. She doesn't get her own collection. She doesn't get her own line. She gets to, much like Santa Claus, <laughs> she's now like top elf, but he still gets the credit. It's still his show. It's still going to be his look. Mm-hmm. So she's toiling around in the background and has moved further into the circle, but she's still not. And that is at the expense of her like sanity and uh, her ability to connect with other people. I think there is some sort of critique there of both gendered and the like association between what, like superficiality and capitalism and masculinity and, I like that. I like what you're saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just sitting here thinking. Is, is that right? Is that me stringing things together or is that? No, I like in it. In there. I, I think it's in there as in, in the world. <laughs> and so. Right. I think seeing it reflected in the film is, is good. I'm trying, I'm trying to dig to see if I can find any more examples of that. Cause I feel like they might be there. I think it would make sense from what I do remember about the directors. Cause with American Mary, that that had a definitely had I remember there being a real feminist component to that film and feminist uh messaging of she's assaulted right by this doctor and then a, 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 and she's like a grad student maybe and he's her and then she fuck I don't remember what happens in that film but I do remember that it being like a revenge where she finds herself and like finds her her voice and then dead hooker in a trunk. I can't. I don't remember enough. I don't remember enough of that either. I remember that being much of, uh, um, what's Hitchcock's film. The trouble with Harry. (laughs) Dead hooker in a trunk is essentially the plot of Hitchcock's the trouble with Harry, which is his like might be his only comedy. I don't know if I want to say that, but it's like a super dark comedy where they end up with a body at a party and they need to hide it or they need to figure out what to do with it. And it keep wherever they hide it, it ends up getting in the way or being rediscovered or. You're not talking about like rope or whatever. Don't they end up, they have a party and they bury the body and like the, they turn it into a table or something. They put it in like a little box. that looks kind of like oh. a coffin in the middle of the room. No. The, one where the whole thing was shot in one. Yeah, I haven't ever yeah. watched it. Spoiler. Oh. That's all right. I'm just kidding. That's fine. Well, no, the bo- I had my chance to watch Rope. I think. Um, it's not. It's Trouble with Harry. Okay. I, I know I've that's never. I feel like I've seen every Hitchcock film, and I don't even know if I've heard of The Trouble with Harry. So that that's why I made that face. Every Hitchcock film. I thought so. I've seen a lot of them. I mean, he made like 50 fucking movies. I went through a, a period of time where I tried to watch all of them. Maybe I didn't. Good get for there. you. I don't know. Maybe I made it partly through the list and never made it to Trouble with Harry. Wait, but what you were saying seemed important. Oh, oh. Trouble with Harry. I believe you. Just making sure. I was making sure for myself. At the end, that would kind of fit then with with our female protagonist being totally controlled by the doctor. Oh being, yeah. Being manipulated first of all into the situation, not given enough information to actually make a decision on her own, then. Yeah, manipulated throughout the situation. And like you said, forced to play this game of eat or be eaten. 
and even seeing some benefit in it right away because maybe just like the migraines in Black Christmas, it's a compelling she's, argument. She's uh, who's the sister in Black Christmas who sells out, sells out her gender? Yeah, for uh, with an I want to say Hannah, but it wasn't Hannah. It was um, Helena. 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 Oh yeah, right. Um, it's the so, Helena effect or component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I, and I guess I think even more so of the. What's the boyfriend whose name I don't think we ever figured out in Black Christmas? Who was getting the migraines? Because Landon? He, no, not the other boyfriend. The one that was sort of eh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, right, right. Because he, because it's a compelling argument and it sometimes kind of wins over and he was like sort of struggling with it. That she's maybe in that position yeah. throughout the film. She's struggling with, you know, she starts to see some benefit. Sure, yes, right. Oh, yeah. Great. Hugely rewarded. Yeah. And so she kind of gets pulled in that direction. But then she eventually at the end says, no, 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 I'm going to go back this way. I'm not going to do that. Decides to take herself out of the game. Like, that's what the game is. I have to play. I'm taking myself out. But then again, the male doctor is forcing her to be in this world. He was because he set the rules, I guess you could say, all along. She didn't have the information to know she was immortal or whatever she is. Which would so. totally fit with her developing a phallus. Oh, symbolically, like, they, oh, like that's perfect. Oh, that's great if we can actually tie the penis in. Because yeah. the whole time I was like, what? So she, right. So to, to participate in all this, she had to grow a penis. So now she's in the masculine world and, and right. And is playing the game and it's destroying her. Even though she thinks she's this like false victory and this, this t- corrosive effect. And then she cuts off the penis, and that's when she has to go back to the... So she goes to the doctor. He basically gives her a penis. She goes back out in the world and plays that game, and it's terrible and toxic, even though there are some benefits. And then she it culminates in she's finally going to emasculate herself, return to femininity, and it costs her because she has been now corrupted, I guess, by... Um, she can't go back. She's been corrupted by the doctor because phallus or not, she has to eat. And except when she decides that she doesn't, like you said, she she takes her own life. She's like, no, I'm not going to play it, your, your game. And the, ultimately, it's, no, you are going to play my game. You are trapped. You can't step away from it. You're stuck. So I want to say that was there, and maybe it was, and that's kind of cool. Although one thing, like, like made me cringe when you said it, and so I just want to throw this out. Yeah, yeah. When we said, like, she returns to her femininity, which would fit, because she chops off her penis-looking monster thing, whatever it is. So, like, okay, totally. But is it then problematic to associate femininity with this sort of meek, the the side of the scale that at first was too meek? If you take it too far, it's too meek. Right. And I, I would argue just like my own trying to live my own life sort of thing. I try to walk a line between not being that meek, but also not being evil. And like, where do you draw that line? But by calling that feminine, like the eater be eaten by calling the be eaten side feminine, is that itself problematic? Or are we, are we arguing that that is actually just egalitarianism that is being communal? And that is how that's morality. That's how the world should be. And so we're saying, Saying women are closer to that perspective on the one hand kind of fits with this counter hegemonic masculinity thing, and at the same time is its own way of pigeonholing. Yeah, that's a great question. My first thought was it would be if she was unhappy, but I don't think she's unhappy in the beginning. 
I could, I think they could have emphasized that a little bit more, but she was like, I'm fine. I don't need a date with Brad. I didn't want to be here. I was, she wants to design. And so she's not happy with that, but she's like, she's okay. I don't know. Maybe. Is she not? Oh, I found her to just be painful. I don't know. I wouldn't be happy as her. (laughs) But she is, she does, she does know what she wants. I guess. She is. I don't know. Okay, so let's look at that. So she, I mean, the opening of the film is her looking at Chelsea on the billboard, right? And driving her moped into work with, like, her backpack, like, a bunch of stuff. And she gets there, and she's late, and she, like, cleans herself up a little bit. But it's certainly not up to the standards of the scene. And so she's ridiculed by Gunter. And then goes, sits down, and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work. So, yeah, she's not, I mean, yeah, she, she and, like, her drive to work is, she's almost hit. So she is, I think, yeah, no, you're, I think you're right. I think there's a message, like, she is too meek. And she gets bumped out of the way. Remember when she's standing trying to get into the club the first time, and then once she's had her transformation, they're like, oh, you don't need an ID, yeah. we'll let you right in. Right. And the sisters, I think, are the ones who actually come in and like, totally. elbow her out of yeah. the way. totally. So... And then do blow in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like she's um, too far. Yeah. She's like, I made the list, but he's, oh, I don't see your name. You couldn't possibly be on this. Oh, fine. Okay. Let me double, triple check it. Oh, maybe you are on this. Right. Right. Which brings us back to, I think, the overarching question, which is, is that sort of egalitarian viewpoint correct? Because if it is, then if like if we're willing to assert it's correct, then associating it with femininity, I don't know, just somehow the, that, that, word felt problematic to me like yeah that's that's putting women on the lower power dimension side of the spectrum and saying that's what even if you say that's what's right i don't know if you're allowed to put women there right or femininity in general yeah 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 that's great so so how would we have if we were going to demonstrate that there's strength in the femininity it's hard because it's almost like it's almost like you want to take the hegemonic masculinity part pull the power out Mm. And say that power doesn't have to be masculine, although often there's a form of masculinity that embraces that power that's problematic and considers it just to be masculine. That power could be feminine, too, but then you'd want to critique the power, that that perspective on power, sort of absent critiquing it. I don't know. I would say absent critiquing it in a specific gender, but then it makes sense to critique it as masculinity because it's often presented that way. So it's not like I don't think it would be wrong to not characterize it as masculine to some extent. It's just at the same time. I don't know. I don't know. There's so, something there. Right. So it's a real condemnation of masculinity and hierarchical power, hierarchical power and men's association with masculinity. And they're subjecting women to participating in their uh, masculine hegemonic masculinity and subjecting women to participating in their hegemonically masculine worldview and mode of interacting. But it is not that that masculinity is contrasted with a femininity that is also problematic rather than rather than real positive. It, it, it seems like the clearest way to present a positive, empowering femininity, femininity and feminine power it's there to some extent with the bond I think they have as sisters, 
They're very supportive of each other. They're very encouraging of, of each other. Their relationship doesn't depend on their appearance. When she's disfigured, she's still like, great, you come to my house. Here you go. It's, you know, it's going to be fine. We'll figure it out. They support each other. It's like, I'm going to design. You're going to walk the runway. We're going to work together. It would be nice if at the end. So it seems like the most obvious way to really cement the, uh, some sort of femininity would be if, if as sisters, they could have somehow overcome. So if she could have, if she could have, uh, um, if together they could have, uh, overcome the doctor or killed him. I mean, that's, that's what Black Christmas did that this didn't is if, if Chelsea and Rose had come together and like, Oh, I, this must have happened from me, the hospital. Here, let me give you some of my blood. Oh, magic. This somehow that cures you because I'm the patient zero. And now we can go. And so she, and so Chelsea's now patient zero. She shows up at the hospital and is like, you can't contaminate me. I've been Im- immunized. She dispatches the doctor, frees um, Rose, and happy ending. I mean, that would have been the Black Christmas equivalent of ending of this. Something like that, where it was like together and bonding and and through our own sharing of resources or empowering each other, we can overcome your bullshit, toxic uh, worldview. Yeah, and I'm, all, I'm, I'm You're not think, sold by that. No, I love sorry, my idea. I'm starting to think I'm on board with, with your idea of having a referendum. Oh, because right, because I still want there to be a position, yeah, and you're still no, okay I, with it being like well, open. Often I'm okay with it being open, but I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe lean in your direction a little bit right now and say that because the spectrum they're presenting runs from sort of like problematic to also problematic, having some kind of referendum in there on where it's reasonable to fall makes sense because when they when they then juxtapose if this argument's there, which it may be, the sort of patriarchy kind of hegemonic masculinity argument, if that is there. It's tempting, like you said, to throw her back to where she was at the beginning as femininity. And I think that is problematic also, because I think she, as a person, not just as a woman, needs to find that balance that we're all trying to strike between, you know, I've probably said this to you before, but like not having to give away both of your kidneys and also being a kind person. And so where do you like, you know, not give too much, but give enough. And what does that look like? That that as a struggle gets tricky if you start to mix it with, sort of a masculinity, femininity kind of critique. And so because of that, I think it may have made sense, actually, to have her land somewhere that was different than where she started, but wasn't where she was at the end. Yeah, and it can. I think it's really problematic to present, which you pointed this out. I think that's, the more I think about it, the more I agree with your argument that to present that femininity as, as problematic and then this masculinity as problematic it really sets that stage for there to be some sort of false equivalence uh, of what does she do? She goes, she goes back to this femininity that is portrayed so disparagingly. And so, so it's like, like you said, it's just, ugh, it's, right. it's weak and meek. It's not just meek. It's weak and disaffected. And, and unable to figure out who she is, which they say like a couple times in the beginning of the film, because she's so worried about everybody else that she's not like, she's, lost her ability to live her life. And I think that does leave a space for someone to say, I don't know if anyone will ever get this far into the weeds, but there's this space that's created to be like, well, at least the men are trying. 
oh, well, they screwed up, but at least they're trying to do something. Right. Or at least they're, yeah, at least they're living their life or they're, you know, they're not incapacitated by. Right. I mean, he's okay. This screwed up, but he doing something medical, whatever they're. And that's, that's really problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are going to have her cut off her penis at the end and like you said, make this about femininity and masculinity, which I'll say I didn't catch at all in the film. I mean, I was looking at that penis thing thinking, why? I, I didn't don't get it. But if it is there, and I kind of like your argument. I knew there was something going yeah. on with gender, but I didn't, I definitely didn't put that together until we were talking here. Yeah. Then it, it would have been better to land her as somewhat more empowered. At the end. Like when she chooses to choose not to be the predator, I like that choice. But that does leave open this whole other side of the spectrum. Like, put a boundary on that side, too. Like, I'm not going to yeah. go this far, but I'm also not going to go that far. Would have been really helpful. Even if they then oh, yeah. don't want to give us a firm answer of, like, you should be right here right. on the scale. This is too much, and that's too much. <laughs> Would have been helpful. I mean, even if they had let her out at the end, it's like, okay, now she's got to go out and figure out where the balance is. I almost want her to, like, step on an ant. So like, to need to. like, for there to be a reason why she needs to put herself above something else and to do it. And like, just as a bookend on that side or a, right. whatever, a little... Totally. Some kind of bookend. A boundary on that side. Yeah. Or at least, an, if not a boundary, an opening, mm-hmm. an opportunity. But yeah. she, she has no opportunity. Yeah, she, right. she's, she's left with the only recourse of trying to kill herself, which doesn't work. Right. Because, yeah, so she clearly didn't choose Predator, but we don't know what she chose. And she has no choice. Right. Right. Which, uh, you know, maybe you could argue that that's a, a further indictment of of women being trapped in the masculine constructs. I would but, at least like to hear her opinion, frankly. Like, even if they're going to totally. have it be that she doesn't get to enact that because she's stuck, and that is one of the points, tell us, just like they did with her trying to kill herself, tell us where she thinks she yeah. belongs, because then we get to hear her where she landed, where she decided she should be on that scale. Right. right. And if she's us, then that would be... Kind of helpful. Right. Rabid (laughs) 2. I really liked it, though. More rabid. I really liked it. There's no rabider, is there? (laughs) (laughs) There could be a sequel. (laughs) She's still alive. Doctor's still alive. Sister's dead, right? We didn't. Presumably we don't know. Everybody with it died, I guess. It's a sequel. She could somehow have been given a shot or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or she could still be sick. That could be interesting. She's she's chained to whatever sister is. Chelsea? She's. She's sick. Rose is stuck. Cause my thought was, well, Rose, if you can if you can literally slit your throat and come back, put your head through the plexiglass. Of course, maybe that's not possible, but I'm sure there's gotta be some she's immortal. She can escape somehow. Sequel, baby, sequel. <laughs> You put an image in my head of that that I just want to throw out there. The, this, yeah, the can by making the cancer the thing of this the doctor's wife that survived. Oh yeah, and that he still considers that kind of a success for humanity. That's clearly saying that it's all about. It, it's absolutely it's this hierarchical kind of. It's all about persevering, and it doesn't really matter the substance of what it is that's persevering. It's just that you win. It's just that you survive against other people. So, I think yeah, we've got a really clear referendum on that side. God, there's something else, too, about, like, okay, so what I was thinking is, is it all women who are being experimented on? But there's not all women. It's the doctor, uh, or the soap opera doctor. And so, but all of the other patients, I think, are women. Because I was like, oh, well, the, what? It, it, so it's wife, the women outside the clinic, her, 
So it's what I was going to say is, okay, it's men using up women as lab animals to further their situation, except the soap opera star is there as well, but he doesn't react poorly. Like he is not contaminated by whatever he had done. He is contaminated when she bites him. So him, so it's, it's the women who are, who become toxic when they have his masculinity mapped onto them or melded into them. No, wait, but also it was the younger soap opera doctor that ends up getting, he gets his reconstructive surgery after the old soap opera doctor attacks him. So he gets attacked by the older man. But that's after the older guy's infected from her, right? She's still the root of transmission. But I was going to say also, if, if we're talking about this sort of like, men making you play their game kind of argument, then you could see that with younger men also, right? This young man comes in who is like the new version of the older soap opera oh, doctor. Yeah. And the soap opera doctor is actually very threatened by that, right? He's like, oh, I don't know totally. if I want this younger, more attractive, whatever person. And then he essentially forces him into the same game. He attacks him, he transmits it to him. And then the younger guy ends up in the same position. So it could be a, a diffusion of that mentality throughout generations of men as well. Okay. I still want to stick to my argument that it's women who are the source. It's women, the masculinity, symbolic masculinity being mapped onto women. Because it's the wife who turns into cancer wife, whatever she is. And it's her. Because he is not. He is fine until she bites him. And then he may go transmit, but she is still the, like, from the procedure itself, Mm. it is women who end up diseased. Oh, 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 wait. Oh, I see what you're saying. Who end up contagious and... Oh, I guess so. We don't know. I mean, maybe the young doctor had the procedure at the same hospital, though. Wasn't he at that hospital when he comes, when he starts attacking people? So we don't necessarily know. I mean, but it doesn't matter because he was attacked by the guy. The first time we see the young soap opera star, that's who we're talking about, right? Yeah. He is attacked by the older soap opera star Mm -hmm. who is already infected. Right. So the root of transmission is her. Yeah, okay. Old soap opera guy, young soap opera guy. So she is still the source. All right. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. If he had not been bitten by her, then yes, you could say that. But it's he seems to be fine. He's like, cool, chilling, right? And so we see no symptoms from him until Well, we wouldn't. I mean, because he got his face got disfigured by the old doctor. Then he went in and had the surgery. Again, all that doesn't matter. That but happens. Saying, like, that's ca- when he, he cause effect is temporal. <laughs> but like, he, he caught it from the old doctor. After he got it from her. After it the renders old, that after the old doctor it, got it from her, yeah. But I'm so saying, that renders that moot. The young doctor then went to the same clinic and had the procedure. So even if he could have gotten it that way, it's like he already had it. Because he had the same procedure done on his face, right? I think he did. As she did. But we don't know if he caught it from the procedure because he already had it from her. The young soap opera goes to the clinic? I thought we see him in the hospital room. Isn't that him who attacks like the nurse or whatever in the clinic? When when the nurse walks in, he's like, "Oh, you can't. So don't take your bandages off yet. Don't worry." Isn't that him? And but that's not the clinic. That's just some hospital. I thought it was the clinic. If it wasn't the clinic, if it's just it's, the hospital. No, okay. it's 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 hospital. All right. Yeah. Still that too. It's just the it's the Santa shooting hospital. Oh 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 really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> all right. All right. You have to. You have a final at one? Yeah. What time is it? 11.40. Oh, okay. I have to leave here at 12. Okay. 
So we should record intros? Oh, no, what we should do is we should grade. Yeah. Here is the uh, Smith-Patterson, Patterson-Smith Evolving Rubric of Horror Film Social Responsibility. I like our absurdly long name. <laughs> I like the evolving rubric, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Social responsibility, real extent of issue depicted, and whom do we empathize with? Do you want to grade first, or do you want me to? I think it raised a really relevant issue. I yeah. think the nuances of the argument were good. I think it, it didn't present an answer exactly. And so in that respect, I guess, I don't, I'm, I'm willing to say that's okay. I don't think that gives a, a bad, it didn't, it didn't give the bad answer. I think that, well, I think what I would consider to be problematic is if you give the wrong answer and plenty of films do like actually say that something that we think is morally problematic is fine. And they didn't do that. If anything, I mean, they, they, they definitely reprimanded. In a lot of ways, they reprimanded the bad answer, what I would call the bad answer, which is yeah. just step on people and don't care. And I think, honestly, the, the fact that they left some nuance there is really kind of okay, because, like I said, I struggle with the same question and figuring out where to land on that spectrum. So I don't think there's a clear answer to present exactly of exactly where you should be. But I don't think it was... I mean, it, it didn't... Unlike Black Christmas, it didn't come in with a, a clear moral point to make and just lay that moral point at you know, on you. I don't think a film necessarily has to, but I think I would, I would probably downgrade it ever so slightly from Black Christmas in that regard, in terms of moral responsibility, because it left some of it up to the audience. But again, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. In terms of diversity, in terms of... There's no one, there's no one who's not white in the film, except for like a trivial, like bodyguard and like door guy, door person at the club. But nobody who's a prominent character. So that's not, that's not too good. She's definitely agentic. Um, it passed the Bechdel test because Chelsea and her talk quite a bit. I'm trying to think if Chelsea is ever agentic or it's really just Rose. I think Chelsea's kind of agentic. I think she also is agentic in the sort of shallow, having kind of bought into the eat side of the argument a little bit more at the beginning, at least. Yeah, right. It may be problematic, but I think she does move things forward. And they're, Rose and her, within the confines of men, between Gunther, Brad, and Dr. Whoever, Dr. Burroughs. But that's for a purpose, and it doesn't negate... Actually, I think it passes back to Alcas, too, between the Soska sisters. When they talk, I mean, they're talking about her, like, looking bad, so it's not like the most feminist conversation <laughs> ever, but they are talking about another woman, not some guy, not a man. And uh I was fine with the the horror effects. Yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, I didn't think it was so our a ratio in any sort of problematic kind of way. Right. Our we have a, a ratio of horrific display to commentary. So how much gratu- how, how much is gratuitous? Yeah. I think there was more... None. No. there's Yeah, it was useful. There's more men's nudity than women's, I think, almost. Because the doctor's shirtless, and somebody else is shirtless. She's in her, like, nightgown, but that's there's no nudity, I don't think. I never felt like anything... I, I, the gore was there, but it was fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with, like, A-, minus. I think. Pulled up by the fact that I thought it was a really relative really relevant thing to comment on. And I think they actually did it very thoughtfully and deeply in a lot of ways, pulled down a little bit by lack of diversity, by lack of sort of clear statement. Um, so this somewhat statement, they did some statement on the morality front, but it could have been a little bit clearer in ways that would have been helpful. 
Um, but I think it was good. And I think really, yeah, what pulls that up as high as it does for me is that I think they tackled a, a really important question and they put a lot of layers in there and, and did that well. Yeah, I, I agree with that overwhelmingly. And I do tell my students that they need to at least be able to demonstrate. I, I'm thinking of particularly private or personal trouble public issue. I tell them you need to be make the argument, like, show me what would make this a personal trouble versus what would then elevate this to a public issue. So, they, like you said, they distinguish, here's what these things are, but they don't say which it is. So they're demonstrating the knowledge, but they're not... Mm. So, and I feel like just to be clear on that, a personal trouble is something, I, I would say the sort of core of that definition is something where the solution lies in changing individual behavior and changing yeah. sort of an individual is able to make the adjustments they would need to make in their life to deal with whatever the problem is they're facing versus a public issue, which is something that affects a lot of people in society and is often a result of structural causes. And so the solution to that is not every individual in that circumstance changing their individual behavior, but changing something structural in society that then alleviates that situation for the group of individuals that are that are faced by it. Great. Yeah, well said. Exactly. And the, uh, the only other thing I would add to that is I emphasize that disproportionate, disproportionately affecting some particular demographic is a strong indicator of a public issue. If I'm going to tell students that, they just they need to be able to demonstrate the distinction and argue both points, I feel like I should give this film credit for arguing, even though I really want it to take a stand, <laughs> particularly having just seen Black Christmas. I think I'm in the A minus two. I think I'd be like, I, I'd probably be a lower A minus than you. I'd probably be like right at the 90. I was honestly right around that border too. Um, but I think, I think I'm pulled up by the fact that I'm really impressed by the question they chose to tackle. Had it been a different question, I might have bumped into a B plus, but I liked the question. Yeah. And it was, the rest of it was done very well. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it deserves to be in the A range even if at the lower end of it. Which, in the world of horror films... Spectacular. Is, right, is, a, is an excellent grade. I can't believe we gave two A's in a row. Right. That's amazing. It's like grading first-year student papers. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't I want, believe I'm giving two A's in a row. Um, I want to say one other thing on, the, on our rubric. I think we need a separate rubric. I realized as I was driving home last time, this is a really easy one, though. Oh. After um after Black Christmas, that I also because we're talking horror here, I wanna I wanna a grade just based on horror also because Black Christmas I was like I gave it a really high A, and when I talked to people afterwards about how it was, I found myself thinking yes it was like super high A in terms of like moral impact in terms of just effectiveness as a horror film I'd bump it way down. I mean, I think that's a different, it's a totally different dimension, but I mean, right. we're here for horror. Right. So, and right. some things can succeed in both. Like Martyrs, I am actually inclined to put high in both. And I think that's a, an important thing. So that's great. I want to go back and retroactively give Black Christmas a C. I was never scared. Right. I mean, not really. No. There were some things that were ever so slightly effective, but mostly not. Like, right. eh. Right. Seen, seen it all before. Yeah, that's excellent. This is why it's an evolving rubric. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this one, I wasn't scared either, but it's not my kind of movie. But God, overall, it was well done. Okay, if, if, can we call horror film not just being scared, but just, like, as a horror film, including film? You know, like, including how well done it was just as a film, not as a, like, moral commentary. Can we put that all into one? Can it be, like, 
So we're talking, I think technical aspects should be on here somewhere. Is that what we're talking? I don't know how many things we want to grade on. I just think. Yeah. I why think... not? Grade it on all of it. Grammar counts, right? <laughs> okay. Technical aspects, I think it was a, a high AA. I think it was great. Yeah, it was. Great. It was. But horror scared. I wasn't. Really I wasn't scared. either. But, but, okay. No, no. I'm going to take that back. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give it like a B minus. I, I was re- revulsed. Is that a word? But yeah, the, but I think that counts. When she like is pouring the smoothie into her mouth. Oh my gosh, I couldn't look at the screen. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that makes it count as horror, like effective use of the horrific. I think it counts as a horror film. I'm going to give it a B minus as a horror film. I think it deserves to be in the B range. I think it's better than Black Christmas. Black Christmas had all like been there, done that. I think the interesting visual of her wired together jaw and trying to feed herself and. Yeah, I think that bumps it up into the B for me, but still a low B. And as someone with who's dealt with a lot of tooth and mouth and I have issues with all of that, I, it was hard for me to sit and watch that. It was well done. It was it was hard. It was bad. I, it was just like I, I experienced revulsion. Apparently, revulsed <laughs> yeah. is not a word according to my Apple dictionary. So I was repulsed. I yeah, the the syringe thing I struggled with but the just the lingering on her disfigured mouth and teeth especially was hard and there was some other good gore it is interesting i think that counts yeah it counts i'll call that a different kind of horror film right right and it's which you know they're okay okay well good all right so you can find our entire backlog of episodes at collectivenightmares.com find us on instagram at collective nightmares and thank you for listening horror films are our collective nightmares. Can I say something that you can maybe cut back into the scale part? Yeah. Uh, I, I realized just now what I mean by that second scale. Like, there's first, like, the moral responsibility. And then there's second, like, the... I have a friend who likes horror films and isn't in it for three hours of intellectual conversation, but just wants to go see the film or not. That rating. As just, you're a fan of horror movies, what rating am I going to give it to you? Kind of aside from the moral impact. And I think this... <sighs> I, would, I would solidly put this at a B-. It's okay. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know if I want to separate those two. I feel like those should be yeah, intertwined. I'm getting, I'm getting caught up in the technical part also, because I said B minus on horror, but that's kind of different from it actually being a good film, which was really well done. Like, also. I, yeah. I hear you. Like, is it entertaining? Well. And, and within horror. With horror. Know. All right. Take out what I said there. Never mind. No, no, no. I don't know. If, I think it's worth no, leaving in the discussion. I just, I think of my students who are like, why can't you just yeah. watch something without overthinking about no, it? And it it's like. I'm questioning it too. I don't think I want to. For a second, I thought I was onto something and now I'm not. I think it should that. be included. I just don't think it should be a separate yeah, scale. Yeah, no, I don't mean cut it out of the rubric. I just mean cut my little commentary out there because I thought I had like a clear vision of what I meant by that second piece. Now I take it out. Just the stuff I said after you cut. But why? I think it's important to have the. Oh, well, I mean, if you Ev- want to. Evolution discussion okay. happen. Okay. But I think I've changed my mind.
That's fine. Just in the context of having just said that. I, okay. I just want to articulate, not to educate you, but just to articulate for people listening. My or our concern, maybe this is yours, Laura, you can correct me if not, is that to try and detach the entertainment from value, which by that is the how horror, how horrific is it, from the social responsibility is, I think it's really problematic to, to why is that problematic? I think it's problematic to present those as two mutually exclusive endeavors because I think I think it needs to be considered what the ideology and the messaging is within the film, regardless of how entertaining it is. Yes, and I but I think I'm thinking if it was problematic, then it's like no, you shouldn't unleash that on society. Like I might argue that with human safety. Right. Um, sure. That, like, hugely entertaining. entertaining, but no. Right. Sure. But I think if there's not positive commentary, it can still be okay just as a horror film. I mean, sorry, if there's not negative, like if it doesn't do something bad, right? then just as a like, it's telling my mom, I think she might like it kind of thing. Right. Seems, I don't know, like a different dimension than moral responsibility. And something I felt like we were missing if we only grade on moral I, responsibility okay. as, as horror films. Right, so we agree. They need to be uh, considered together. Yes. Okay, and the best films would do both, which is hard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Still. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to give Room Tone a minute here. Or... Greta Gum makes me laugh every time I see it. Greta Gum. It makes me laugh and it makes me sad every time I see it. Oh, fuck. I don't know. Because Greta got gum and our projects never got made. So that's the sad part. But the funny part. Never. Just not yet. You're right. You're right. Maybe one day we'll get gum. And that would also help explain the like. Would that, that might also, oh, I'm sorry, kitty, that's not your toy, you little booger, that's not your toy, you're going to end up calling her. I don't mind him sitting on it if he would just be quiet. And then it's not going to be good. I don't want him to, because if he claws that, then you've got down and stuff coming out. Alright, sorry. And he is still, she is, they're still playing, she's still playing his game. You can't take your, you can't step your, you can't step away from it. Welcome, this is the Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror films. My name is Marshall Smith, and... Today I like horror films because of uh, how they are sometimes uniquely able to present social commentary. And it... are we introducing Black Christmas or Rabid? Rabid. Uh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's right. Let's do it while we're on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
Like, like you said, I can't believe we saw two excellent yeah. movies. I know. Within, I know. like, a week? I or well, I don't even know. How, however long? Not yeah. even a week. And especially after my assessment was like, ugh, I don't know about any of these. <laughs> but I think these two are going to be terrible. Right? That's totally wrong. You never know. What are you doing, you big booger? What are you doing, you big booger? What are you doing? You naughty titties are so loud while we report. You see, just about me in the middle of everything. <laughs>